Hello, hockey fans, and welcome to the Vegas Hockey Podcast once again. This is Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. We've got a very special show for everybody today. We're celebrating our 50th episode dating back to March of 2015. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. It's uh, great to be here, and uh, this is a special show for a lot of reasons. Yes, it is. We have a little bit of news just right off the top. Due to due to format changes and, and time concerns, we're no longer affiliated with HockeyTalkRadio.us. Uh, we left with Coach Ch- Chickasola on, on fine terms, no problems. just wasn't working out for us anymore. And there was a lot, of, a lot of work going into the production end of things that I honestly just didn't have time to keep up with anymore. So we uh, parted on mutual terms, but we are now going to be affiliated with the inaugural launch of the Hockey Writers podcast page over at thehockeywriters.com. We've been working with Dan over there trying to put some things together with him, and I believe there's going to be 10, 10 shows that are featured to to launch their podcast page, and they picked us to be one of them. From now on, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at thehockeywriters.com. In addition to at Vegas Hockey Pod on Twitter, and you could always follow Chris at the NL King on Twitter as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a it's a new venture for the hockey writers, and uh, I'm glad that uh, we're a part of it. And hopefully, more you know everyone who's been following the show will continue to do so, and uh, more people will as well. So, uh, really looking forward to this coming uh, season. I guess, in a way, this is uh, the first show of the new season. I guess you could say that, yeah. Kick it off Kick it off with a bang. Um, one thing, too, Chris, those of you that do follow the show know Chris writes for thehockeywriters.com and lastwordonsports.com, and Chris dropped a new article this week at thehockeywriters.com. You want to break that down real quick? Yeah, I write for the New York Islander uh, on the Islanders at thehockeywriters.com. And uh, one of their under-the-radar, if you will, prospects is this uh, phenom goalie they have by the name of Ilya Sorkin, who won the Goalie of the Year Award last year as a 20-year-old in the KHL. Um, He was a third-round pick from a couple years ago. He had just one of the most ridiculous years last year. Uh, His statistics are something uh, you wouldn't believe from a video game uh, uh, production. Uh, he had over a 953 save percentage, huh. barely above a one. Uh, I think his goals against in the regular season was around 106 or so. Uh, 10 shutouts. Uh, really incredible. He came over to Long Island um, a couple weeks ago, uh, participated in the Islanders' uh, prospect camp, and shut out the, the team he was on, shut out the other team. So his future looks very, very bright. Uh, uh, so check that story out. It's a name I believe you'll be hearing for a while starting next year. So uh, check my uh, new article about that out at thehockeywriters.com. Yeah, those numbers come in a league, too, that's not known for its defense. So a lot of that had to be on him. Um, really cool, really cool, good stuff. We're, we're going to go ahead and uh, we got a very special guest today on the Vegas Hockey Podcast, our very first guest on the show um has come back to to join us again on our 50th episode and that would be clint malarchuk now everybody knows clint played a uh, good 10 12 years in the league with the nordiques capitals sabers after he was done with the sabers though a lot of people may not know that he came to las vegas and spent six years 
playing for the IHL's Las Vegas Thunder. Started out as a player, then uh, player coach, then assistant coach, uh, head coach for a little bit. Went up, joined Bob Strum in the front office as assistant GM. And when the Thomas and Mac re- refused to renew the lease for the Thunder, um, they one of the last games they retired his jersey number there. So Clem Larchuk's the first hockey player in Las Vegas history to have his number retired. A little, little, little trivia question for everybody when they start talking about uh, Vegas hockey players at the NHL level. Well, Clint, Clint was here along with a whole bunch of other NHL players. Curtis Joseph, Alexi Oshin, Roddick Bonk all came through uh, with a bunch of others. But uh, Clint's Clint's coming back into the show. We're going to be talking Las Vegas hockey, the expansion, where, where the team goes from here, and, and all kinds of good stuff with Clint. And I got to throw in here that from day one, if you if uh, you guys have been paying attention to, Clint has been the number one ambassador and supporter of Las Vegas receiving an NHL franchise. He's been banging the drum. If you go back and listen to our very first episode, you'll hear a whole lot of that uh, Definite, definite ambassador for hockey in Las Vegas. And we hope you enjoy this interview. All right, hockey fans. Thanks for tuning in to the Vegas Hockey Podcast as featured on thehockeywriters.com, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Mark Warner with Chris Lisa. We welcome back our very first guest on the Vegas Hockey Podcast back 16 months ago. He's back to talk some Las Vegas hockey, reflect a little bit on how far the, the bid has come. The recent general manager hire, and whatever else comes to mind, Clint Malarchuk comes back into the box. Clint, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, man. We really appreciate you coming on. Well, I guess we have a little bit to talk about since that first episode. A lot has developed in the Las Vegas area with with hockey. Yeah, yeah. How about it? How about it? We're all fired up. I wanted to get your uh, get your take. Just the the latest news out of the Las Vegas camp. Uh, Mr. Foley has gone ahead and hired uh, George McPhee of the Washington Capitals. Uh, what, what's your What's your impressions on Mr. McPhee? I know you spent a lot of time around the Capitals organizations, and your time there didn't really overlap at all. But uh, just general impressions on the hire. Well, I, I know you know having been in in uh, in hockey for well, I'm two years removed from the NHL, and. Uh, so I still have a lot of the friends and connections. My brother's uh, NHL scout. And uh, personally, from what I know about George McPhee and what I've heard through my time, and just recently when people sit around talking hockey people, uh, it's a great hire. He's very, very well uh, respected. Um, you know, I know there's some great candidates to, to choose from that you probably couldn't have gone wrong with any one of them. But uh there's something about George McPhee that everybody says is a good pick, and, and there's a lot of reasons that uh, that underlie that uh, thought. Yeah, for sure. You, you go back and look at his record, I think it pretty much speaks for itself. Uh, going back, I, I, I was looking him up. His, his first year as a rookie, he came up and played under Herb Brooks, so that's got to give you something to go forward with. And then his first year in Vancouver, he was assistant GM to Hall of Famer Pat Quinn. So you talk about foundation and, and what, what sets the tone for as you go forward. I don't think you could find a couple better mentors to go forward with than those two gentlemen. Well, I think you're going to get an education right off the bat. That's <laughs> actually a good, for, good fortune for anybody to have those two guys as your starting mentors, especially that early in his, uh, 
managerial career. Yeah, I think uh, just by reputation, they were going to let you know what they expected of you. Uh, there wasn't going to be any gray areas there, and they were going to lead you down the path that you needed to go on. So just cutting your teeth under those two guys, I think, probably helped George McPhee a lot. And we were at the press conference there talking with him. He seems, he seemed to me, and this is just first impressions, but very, very humble, very quiet, but also there's a passion there with George McPhee that's just burning right under the surface where he was just he was chomping at the bit get just just let's go let's go let's do this he very quiet very soft spoken but but you could just see in his eyes that this is something that he's going to come and tackle with with everything that he has and i i i'm i'm excited about it i think when you when uh, a couple of the other expansion teams that started off wanted to maybe bring in some guys that didn't have the experience wanted to grow with the franchise and build it that way I was kind of saying all along that bringing in somebody who has the experience is going to be the long-term benefit of the franchise. Now, let's. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you something. It's a little bit off the cuff, but the the day we were we uh, I was down at the at the win there when they announced that we were actually approved for expansion, and I got back in the car and, and who's on the radio? Clint Malarchuk. And so I, I listened to that interview, and uh, I'm not going to say who, who was talking or anything, but one of the questions they asked you was, now, now Clint, do, will the players have anywhere to live when they go to play in Las Vegas? And I think that was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but are you, is that indicative of some of the questions that you're getting about Las Vegas as a franchise? Because it seemed to me with a question like that out there, that we still have a lot of education to do before we're actually going to be accepted as a franchise. Well, and that, you know what, it's a tourist city and people that go to Las Vegas, they hit the strip, they go from the airport, they stay on the strip, they walk the strip and gamble and see shows on the strip. They really don't know. And, and understandably, you know, so that they don't know that what's on the outside, what's on the outskirts, what's on, on off of the strip. And, uh, I always tell people, you know, having lived there and played hockey there, that it's, a, it's as regular as any other city once you get off the strip and the bright lights. So, uh, you know, my biggest adjustment, I think, was, uh, you know, and I lived on the outskirts, uh, was when you walked into a convenience store, there, there was a, a slot machine. <laughs> right, right. And that was it. Once you get used to that, you know, it's, it's as regular as any other town, really. No, you know. for sure, for sure. If the players want to go live in a in a gated golf course community with, uh, you know, nice nice neighborhood, nice doctors, nice nice schools here, um, they're going to be able to find. It's all there. Yeah, it's all it's all here. It's all here. So this is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Clint Malarchuk. Chris, let me let you jump in here and get a few questions off. Sure, it's a great speaking with you, Clint. Um, what do you would you say is going to be the biggest challenge ahead for? George McPhee and the Vegas franchise between now and the expansion draft seems like an awful lot of a lot of work to be done. Well, you know his his biggest challenge, and that's why I think George was a good hire rather than going with somebody like you stated earlier that may be a little younger and grow with the franchise. You need a guy to hit the road, you know, hit that road running and be with his connections like his. He's, he's got to first off get a scouting staff because the season is coming up and they're going to be scouting heavily and hard, not just the, uh, the NHL players, but what they have in the American League 
and in Europe. So that is the that's probably George's you know first first spot first order of business. And from there, you know, he's gonna he's obviously got his whole staff to coaches to hire. Uh, not not immediately, obviously, but that scouting staff will be crucial because in today's game, uh, you know, whether it's the draft or pro scouting, uh, that's where you're that's where you're getting your players, and you have to be on top of that. And and with George's experience uh, and connections, I'm sure he'll put together just a, a first class A1 scouting staff, uh, pro scout, amateur scouts, uh, whatever it takes, and and obviously his personnel as hockey operations and assistant GMs, and obviously down the road he'll have to be getting a, a coaching staff. Now, Clint, how, with, with starting in a, a new franchise, an expansion franchise, do you look at hiring a new head coach the same as if it was an existing team or uh, or that was, you know, how do you approach the head coach? Do you, do you <laughs> take certain, certain other things into consideration or it's the same process? That is a great question because it, 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 in some senses it's like any team hiring a new coach. It, is, is, is it a young team? Is it a, um, a veteran team? What, what do they have? Who's the coach that they need for that type of group of players? Uh, you know, George will have the luxury of knowing what his team is going to, what he's building around and what he's looking for. So I'm sure he'll, he'll probably look. At, at a coach along the lines of what his philosophy is on, on what he wants a team in a team and, and to win and to go forward and make the playoffs and, and obviously uh, hopefully reach the Stanley Cup. But, uh, you know, it, it's a great question in the two senses of, first, is it, is it the coach? Do you hire the best coach available? A lot of people just say, yes, hire the best coach available. Today's game is a little different. I think that a general manager nowadays in today's game, they look at the other approach like you stated. Are you, are you looking for a guy that's a, a communicator with younger guys? I mean, when they, when they have the expansion draft, they're going to have the luxury of, of knowing what they're getting in, in their players. And, and I think uh, as long as, that's the hard part for an expansion team. You're going to have an idea of what you're going to get, but you're not 100% sure where it's, as all these established teams know what they've got. They know what they got in the farm system. They know what their draft uh, selection is coming up and which players they might be getting or have a good idea. And that's where these guys, it's a little bit of more work because they have to do a broader uh, scouting search because they might get this guy, they might get that guy. And, and it's hard to tell which players are going to be protected and which which players are going to be exposed to the ex- expansion draft. They'll have a vague idea. Long for sure. I got two more for you, Clint. Uh, yeah. In, now, for you, during your, uh, during your career, you, uh, you were in, in an era where scoring was much higher than today. You faced in your time a lot of terrific goal scorers. Who would you say of uh, the players you faced who had the best shot? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, you, you've always got Gretzky and Lemieux in that type of conversation, but you, the, you, the question you're asking is the best shot. And, again, that's a great question because, like I said, usually it's who is the hardest to play against in that. Best shot was, was a guy named Mike Bossy. You may have heard of him. There you go. <laughs> you yeah, know, I'm, he, out of, I, I'm in Lamont, New York. So. Yeah, yeah I, I knew that. I knew that. And, and uh, the thing was he needed no wind-up. 
uh, no, there was no telling where that puck. He just a quick release, and it was hard. And uh, so, obviously, there was guys like uh, the the fearful guys, like Al McGinnis, who could pound the puck. Doug Wilson. I mean, those guys could really bring it uh, from the point. Another guy with the quick release is Brett Hall. Uh, no wind up, no telling when the shot is leaving, when the puck's leaving his stick. It was just boom. Um, and then you could uh, you could broaden that to obviously uh, not just best shot, but hardest to stop and most dynamic player and and best vision. You know Gretzky, Lemieux, these guys. Sure. Yeah, no, uh, it would have been something if, if, if Bossy didn't uh, get a cranky back. I mean, he already he had a terrific career as it was, but uh, how many more goals he would have scored would have been something. Uh, and my last question for you another, is... Uh, 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 another guy that uh, that you'd know is, uh, that had a heck of a wrist shot, but unfortunately he was a defenseman. Well, fortunately for the goalies, <laughs> because uh, Dennis, Dennis Potling, that oh, guy could wrist sure. a puck from the point, and it had a lot of velocity. He could wrist a, a wrist shot as part of some guy's slap shots. Oh, wow. So, uh, my last so there's your Islanders. Yeah, a little yeah, Islanders rundown. Um from when you play Clinton today, break down for me the evolution of kind of the goalie play of where the goalies are today from from when you played in the 80s into the 90s. And I want to get your thoughts, too, about the equipment the goalies wear today in terms of the pads, the, the, the blockers, the, 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 uh, the gloves. How do you feel about it? I mean, there's been a lot of talk about it. How do you feel about it? Is it too big? Is it okay? Uh, your point of view on those two things. Well, you know, the evolution of, of the goaltending position, you know, I was fortunate. I played in the 80s, and, you know, you know, as a junior and even as a teenager and growing up, everybody said, stand up, play the angle, stand up, play the angle. So that's how I learned, and that's how most of us learned back then. Once I turned pro, uh, you know, it, it was Patrick Waugh who came in and started to have success with this butterfly, and he had the, the specialized goaltending coach, which were pretty much unheard of at that time and and they were promoting this butterfly and patrick was so effective and good at it that that and then belfort comes along and a few other guys like that but uh i i was able to change my play a little bit saying hey it's okay to go down <laughs> you know you can you can make a save and if you went down a lot of times you you catch heck from your coach well you made the save but why did you go down it all of a sudden became okay to go down in the butterfly and, and so I, I started to change my, uh, my style a little bit more to the butterfly towards the end of my career, which was, which was fortunate and, and, you know, I think more effective and helped me. So the butterfly has evolved into, they all do it now. It's just a given. I think the last uh, uh, mixed style type goaltender that we have seen would have been uh, Brodeur, you know, who... He butterflied, but a lot of times down the angle, down the wings, he would stand up. So he would stack his pads. He kind of just played, the, made the save. His save selection was whatever the shot is, I'm just stopping it any way I can, whether it's stand up or butterfly or, or stacking the pads. So now they all butterfly. The technique and the, and the mechanics, it's almost like they all do the same thing. But what makes the difference, I think, is between the, the good goalies, and they're all good in the NHL, to the elite ones is the ability that athletic to have that athleticism when they do need to scramble or the puck uh, changes directions on the way to the net. They're able to recover in an athletic way rather than a mechanical way. They are able to make that athleticism uh, make them elite. 
um, getting to the equipment. Well, I think it's way too big. And, um, you know, I just watched a video the other day, and it was about uh, it was all these guys crashing the net and goalies just getting creamed, whether, whether they were outside the uh, net uh, playing the puck or just making a save and a guy following through. And, I mean, it was back in the 80s and early 90s that guys were getting creamed. And, and I think, you know, they talk about goal scoring. How do we increase goal scoring? And I think that uh, the goaltenders are so well, and I know everybody's going to argue, and this will never happen, but really, uh, the way guys, when I played, they were able to stand in front of you. They were, But you were able to whack them, too, and not get a penalty. I mean, you could slash them, and they could kind of hack you. And there was contact, and there was big, uh, a lot of screens, and guys crashing the net. There was a fear when a guy cut towards the net with the puck because, he was going to he was going to shoot the puck and then follow through and you knew that so you were kind of prepared for both and it took your it was took great concentration to just keep focused on the puck and make the save knowing the guy's body's coming through and creaming you so you want to increase scoring i say open up that uh, uh the goalies are very very well protected not just with the equipment but with the rules uh, not touching the goalie and and, and that it's it. it's a little excessive for me and i think if you, if they were uh a uh, little more fair game like they were before, you would increase scoring a lot. But, uh, you know, we talk about increasing the size of the net, uh, decreasing the size of the equipment, things like that. I just, you know, we make a lot of changes. If you want to make a change, I go back to the old style where goalies could be, uh, there could be contact with the goalies to a, to an extent. Yeah, you're going to get a little feedback from the uh, player safety committee on that one, Clint. I'll tell you. <laughs> exactly. That's, exactly. Uh, you are, and and not just with that, but you know, with the way the game is played now, the hitting and the open ice hits, the you know, uh, contact to the head and and things like that. The game is uh, all about keeping the players safe and protected, and and uh, you know, and it, as it should be. But uh, yeah, I, I know I'm not going to win that battle. Now I know last time we talked about about your book and uh some of the some of what you're saying now is taking me back a little bit to that conversation uh because there's there's some things in your book about when you were coming up through juniors and uh actually taking on the other teams the other team's goon and some fisticuffs and never being never being one to shy away from that physical physical aspect of the game it's just it's a little surprising to hear a goalie advocate letting guys run the goalie a little bit more, but uh, I think that's part of part of what made you kind of the goalie that you were was that you really never did shy away from that. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, he, he, and I don't want to get off uh, base too much, but I was asked the question one time because there's no doubt the players are better, the goaltenders are better, they're bigger, stronger, you know. That, and but I was asked the question: Could the goalies of my era play? in in today's game and i i turned to that reporter and i said i'd like to ask you if the goalies today could play in our era when the equipment i mean those pucks hurt the pucks hurt and you you know i don't want to create a big debate or anything but i do want to give the guys in my era uh some credit for playing and it it, it was you needed some like i've worn the equipment that they wear now and it is very you don't feel the puck it hits you on the elbow or the shoulder where you used to cringe and sometimes your arm go numb. That doesn't happen now. Uh, shots in the mask, you know, you had the uh, two eye holes, and, you know, you worried about getting a puck in the eye all the time or a stick in the eye. Um, 
you, you know, it, it took a lot of courage to play back in, in that in that time. So I'm not demeaning the goalies but, uh, today by any means because they are better. They're, you know, it's just the way life works. As we go on, things get better and athletes get better. So uh, I just wanted to, you know, make that comment that uh, it, it was a different game back there for goaltenders for sure. Yeah, kind kind of along the lines of where I, what I kind of wanted to uh, go to next was the 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 evolution of the game itself as a year round sport. Go with the goalies and the and the players getting better today. That's got to be a, a function of the year round conditioning programs that are in place, all the off season workouts that the guys are doing. Uh, does does that kind of of twelve months training? and attention to detail kind of refute the the argument that the talent pool isn't big enough to support expansion in the National Hockey League. If you look back at, at uh, last month's draft, I believe there was 10 players taken in the first round that come out of the USA development camp, which was uh, a record, and also the total number of players coming from USA and overseas, I believe, set a record in that so I guess my question is: Do you do you feel the talent pool that is in the game today is more conducive to expansion than maybe it ever has been in the past? Well, yeah, because you know the population and and the popularity of the game has increased. I mean, we've got kids now being drafted and playing out of uh, states like California, and and well, where's Austin Matthews uh, born and raised? Arizona. Well, raised at least, uh, right? So. You know, the, the game has uh, the popularity and, and the number of kids playing and that. Uh, so that that the exposure of our game to different areas over the years has exposed these kids to come up with, you know, hockey that they never would have played before. They'd be these uh, Southern American states would be playing baseball and football. Now they're playing hockey and they're good athletes and they decide to, to, to follow through on the hockey career. So, you know, we're getting that. There's, there's a bigger pool to draw. And, and of course, Europe is just, uh, you know, become hockey mad too. I mean, you, I think the KHL just expanded into London, and so you're getting more exposure over there as well. So it's it's incredible the game, and it's great that the game is growing um, that much, and 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 that we're getting that much exposure, not just North America but worldwide. And so that that increases the pool of, of talent, I think, and you know the population just keeps getting bigger too. So. Uh, there's got to be enough players out there for 35 teams, I would think. I would think if it was handled correct, you're absolutely pursued. I do want to, since since we were talking about Austin Matthews, I got to give a shout out to Jason Zucker with Minnesota. He's a Las Vegas kid, and uh, he's been up there with Minnesota yeah, now for yeah. I think three three years now. He's been playing. We're all hoping here that he gets left uh, left on the table for uh, maybe we have to sweeten the pot with a draft pick going the other way to Minnesota, but I think that'd be someone the guys here in Vegas want to keep their eye on in that draft if he becomes available because he's going to be an instant, yeah. instant hometown hero. For sure, and and that would help grow the game in Vegas as well. Uh, you know, I think that would be... Uh... Uh, that'd be that'd be art, but it would be great for the city. Really, with this, with the ticket sales now that have just passed fifteen thousand, which means we have enough season tickets sold here to fill up the MTS Center and also where the Islanders play now down in Brooklyn. Um, the buzz the buzz for the game here is is off the charts. Do you think we we know we've got the honeymoon period here for the year couple? couple two three years 
when we get towards the expansion draft and the philosophy behind that, we know we know we've got the first couple seasons of the excitement and the the you know the new car new car smell, if you will. Um, is it? Do you think it's important to maybe maybe eat a couple bad contracts in that draft and put some identifiable players that uh, you know the average hockey fan or the average sports fan? I know Luongo is probably going to be available because they just signed Optimus Rhyme down there. Um, maybe a, maybe a Dustin Brown who's who's underplaying his contract a little bit. Uh, Thornton and Marlowe are both going to be UFAs. Do you think it's important to bring in? A couple names like that, where you got to kind of bite the bullet and take those kind of contracts to get them involved in the community, or do you think it's it's just more better to just keep focused on the long term and and maybe bite the bullet early in order to benefit late? I I think it all boils down to winning, and I get asked the question, you know, because it's Vegas, because it's Vegas uh, after the honeymoon period, because it's Vegas. And I don't care if it, 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 Vegas is no different than any other market. There's going to be, like you said, a honeymoon period and the buzz and the, and the energy and that. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Vegas. It doesn't matter if it's Dallas. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, uh, Edmonton or Calgary up in the, up in Canada. If they're not winning, that buzz will die. And it, in, in professional sports, when you're paying for tickets and, and people are going, they want to see entertainment, and they also want to see a player or a team win. So it boils down to that more than a than a than a superstar. Yes, those big names are bonuses; they're just gravy. But uh, to get a, to get those type of players, it, they'll come. It'll happen through drafts, through uh, uh, maybe some trades and, and even expansion. They will get a couple, you know, probably good, well-known players that are playing right now in the NHL. So you know that. That's kind of a, a you know it could go two ways. To me, it's all about winning, and it doesn't matter if it's Vegas. You know what I mean? Oh, Everything sure. is well in Vegas, but it's it, it's no different. It's no different in any other city. They got to win, or at least be competitive. Let's say, um, you know. And I think I think with the expansion, the way they've got it set up, they they have a good chance to be exp- uh, competitive. You know, in the first year or two. Yeah, for sure, 100%. Well, we're talking with Clint Malarchuk on the Vegas Hockey Podcast featured on thehockeywriters.com. Um, Chris, do you have anything else for Clint before we let him go? No, it's a pleasure to speak with, with Clint. And like I said, I, I followed his career. I started watching hockey and it was right about the time when uh, Clint started playing. So it's actually it's a big thrill to speak with him. And uh, uh, I guess my last question would be, uh, Clint, do you, do, do you think within the next, three or four years, the NHL will be coming back to Quebec. I do. I do. I think we talked about that the first time I was on this show. Um, You know, there was talk of Vegas, Vegas and Quebec. And, and of course, uh, I'm one of the, maybe the only one or the few uh, that have played in both markets. So that question was always asking me, what do you think, Vegas or Quebec? Quebec's a, you know, it's a no-brainer, but it's the same thing. If they aren't competitive, that honeymoon, uh, you know, they'll want a winner. And, uh, you know, it's just like Winnipeg right now. they got a small arena. they got uh, they got a product. They've been competitive. They've been, you know, hanging in there. And uh, they got to keep doing that because it, it's it's no different in other cities. But, yeah, I think, they, I think uh, down the road we'll see Quebec. They've got the arena. They've got the passionate hockey fan. I, I think it'll be there for sure. 
Well, all right, Clint. Thanks, thanks again for jumping in on our 50th anniversary show, man. I really appreciate it. Um, you guys had a good time listening to Clint. He's got a book out. It's called The Matter of Inches, How I Survived. Oops. The Crease and Beyond. How I Survived the Crease and Beyond. Sorry about that. I was thinking in Canada it's got a different title. It's called The Crazy Game. So I, yeah. I was kind of halfway yeah, between yeah. halfway between both titles there. I apologize for that. And I, I thought I saw that someone had made a documentary on that that might be coming out. Is that true? Yeah, it's on uh, up in Canada right now. It's a Canadian production uh, called, uh, uh, what the heck is it called? Uh, Goalie. I think Goldie, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's on Super Channel. It's called Goalie, uh, Life and Death or something like that, In the Crease. Yeah, that's it. And uh, it's actually been out in Canada for a while. It's been doing good. So, All right. Well, there's a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of good stuff in there. The, the running down on the golf course on horseback was one of my favorite stories out of that book. And uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the young kid showing up to camp and then seeing one of the heroes on the Nordiques leaning over the boards, having a cigarette right in the middle of practice. That was uh, just a little indicative of the behind the scenes yeah. stuff you guys will get. Uh, so go ahead, go ahead and go to amazon.com, pick up a copy of the book. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic read. So Clint, once again, thank you, sir. And we can't, we can't stress enough, Mr. Foley, if you get a chance to listen to the show, this is one of your guys right here, man. He is uh, all about Las Vegas <laughs> hockey, and he has been since the moment he got here. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you, guys. I, uh, it was a lot of fun. Always is. Always is. We'll talk to you down the road, and uh, take care up there. All right. We'll see you guys. All right, and we're back. That was Clint Malarchuk joining the show, longtime NHL goalie with the Nordiques. Capitals, Sabres, and your Las Vegas Thunder. So I uh, hope everybody enjoyed that. So before we move on, I want to clean up a little bit of the attributions we were getting to there at the end. Clint's book's called A Matter of Inches, How I Survived in the Crease and Beyond. In Canada, the book's called The Crazy Game. And his documentary is called Goalie, Life and Death in the Crease, and it is on superchannel.ca. If you want to check that out, it's really good stuff. You can follow Clint Malarchuk on Twitter at C Malarchuk, M-A-L-A-R-C-H-U-K. So make sure you go to Amazon.com, pick up a copy of the book, check out the documentary. It's all good stuff, all good stuff. Here on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, SoundCloud, and most recently we're featured on the HockeyWriters.com podcast page. Uh, Chris, let's st- stick with the uh, Las Vegas theme for a little bit. Uh, Clint, Clint was on board 100% with George McPhee. Uh, I think it's a great hire. What say you, sir? Yeah, no, I, I think in, in, you know, reading about all the different candidates uh, that I can find, I think it's probably one of the, the smartest and the most solid choice. Uh, having spent 17 years with the Capitals, he did so much with that team. I mean, I know they didn't win the Stanley Cup. They got to the Cup final and, uh, and got swept by Detroit that one year, but um, you know, this is a guy who, and, and he's been very, you know, obviously, uh, it's only recently, uh, he left the Capitals and ironically, the last little over a year or so, he's been with the Islanders as a special assistant to general manager, Gart Snow. So he's been very involved with the game the last, uh, number of years. He knows all the players inside and out on the draft process and such. And like I said, I, I think you, you want an experienced hand, uh, in this situation, uh, you know, all things being equal. So uh, when I heard originally about him being available or him being has had in the ring, I said, mm, that's, 
that would be a really good hire. So I think uh, Las Vegas uh, did very well for itself by bringing in Matt George McVay. The other thing, the other thing I got on on from uh, being at the press conference there with Mr. Foley and Mr. McPhee was they they both share the same the same goal for the franchise, and that's to be competitive, build a winner from day one, uh, ground up, create create the uh, culture of hockey, not only within the organization, but within the community as well. Um, we, I asked at the, at the press conference that uh, the, it's really hard for even teams in traditional markets to build a winning hockey culture. Um, I don't need to name any teams that are upset anybody, but they're, they're obviously out there, the traditional markets that haven't been in the playoffs in years and years. So my, my question was, how has he given any thought to how to do that in the non-traditional market of Las Vegas? And he, 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 he said, uh, he said, it's a process. He said, you get the right people, you get the right players you let the roots grow deep, and you're going to get rewarded for it. And I think I think that's a pretty solid philosophy to have. Uh, let the roots grow deep, baby. That's what's coming to Las Vegas. So I was I was I was I was happy with the hire, and then being there and talking with him a little bit after the press conference as well, I was I was very happy. You could just see see that passion burning inside. It's just right below the surface and and ready ready to blow at any second. So I thought it was a great hire. Now we'll see what he does with his coaching staff. Uh, Clint Malarchuk, hint, uh, be, be a great guy to have around. Really enjoyed talking with him today. What else is going on out there, Chris? Well, it was a big trade today. Uh, the Rangers and the center is an interesting one. The Rangers sent Derek Broussard, who was probably by far the, one of their most consistent players, and coming off a career year to the Ottawa Senators for Mika Zubajet, uh, who also is coming off a, a strong year. Um, you know, Bursard had a little bit of a better year. He scored 27 goals at 58 points. Uh, he's a natural center. Uh, Zabinijad uh, can play center. He can play wing. He's four years, four to five years younger than, and than Bursard. Some people might say he has more upside, although Broussard got better every year he was with the Rangers. Uh, he's coming off a year where he had 20 goals and 51 points, so he had a solid, he had a really good year himself. Um, you know, I just finished writing an article for Last Word on Sports about the NHL trade markets. I tweaked this in there, and originally my thoughts were the Rangers were in the market to tweak the mix and free up some salary cap space. And to me, this trade is... Screams that uh, Spinachad is signed for one more year before he's a restricted free agent. But arbitration rights is he's at two point six million and change this year, whereas Broussard signed for the next three years at five million. So the Rangers get a little bit of a cap cap space uh, flexibility there. See what they do with it. Uh, not a lot, but you know uh, a decent, you know, nice little chunk. And uh, but then a year from now, you know, Spinachad goes to uh, free agency. So. Interesting from the Ottawa standpoint of why they uh, they would make this move. I mean, they got a real solid player in Broussard. Like I said, it seems like he's gotten better every year of his career. Um, you know, maybe Sabinajan, who's a former, I believe he was the sixth overall pick. Uh, I want to say that was 2011. And you know, so you know, when you're picked that high, you know, your people think like, well, you got to be a first line player. So. 
I don't know how much that kind of played into it that, you know, it takes some time with players. But uh, kind of an interesting trade, and I think this will be a very eventful summer uh, with trades in the NHL. Well, it already has been, and I the, the, the expansion draft looms large over everything for the next, uh, you know, 10, 11 months until that thing's put to bed. And the roster here in Vegas is... I mean, I, I said earlier on a on an earlier show, uh, there's there's never been a time where you could have a Vezina a Vezina finalist uh, with still term on the deal, uh, pretty much be shopped around and acknowledge by signing Vasilevsky to the extension that they did, that uh, just acknowledge that Ben Bishop is either going to be exposed to that draft or is going to get moved for assets before that happens. So I think I think there's going to be a lot to talk about between now and then. Uh, another little thing I saw today, which isn't really as big a deal as that, but uh, defenseman played with the Arizona Coyotes for for a while. Kyle Chipchura hasn't been able to find a gig, so he signed a one year deal to go to the KHL and play. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, there's a few there's a few guys still left in free agency. You like Yearly Hitler. Chris Russell jumps out to me. That can help two teams. Yeah. 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 You know, so uh, uh, as kind of, uh, you know, great uh, support players, if you will. Um, You know, uh, know, and I'm sure starting this week over the next couple starts all the arbitration cases of those. Some people have signed. You saw J.T. Miller, the Rangers sign over the weekend. You saw Alex Florence of the Tampa Bay Lightning sign a seven-year deal. So, um, you know, there's certain players to keep an eye out for how that arbitration process goes, and that could also lead to trade uh, as well, depending upon the outcome uh, of, of those uh, of those uh, rulings from the arbitrator. So uh, that's something to consider, That you know, especially with Tampa resigning Stamkos, uh, which was a surprise, at least from my perspective. Now they've signed Kalorn. There's no way that Tampa, with their cap where it's at and keep Ben Bishop and sign Nikita Kucherov for next year. I mean, I'd be shocked. They they would have to, uh, uh, you know, without making some moves. So uh, the uh, the Lightning have to make uh, some kind of uh, significant trade, I would think, this summer. So that's something to watch out for as well. Well, if they can move Bishop and use his money to get Kucherov done, then... Uh... It seems like the directions that they want to go, they got, they got. Uh... Right, but the, the thing to watch out for there, obviously, the team trading for Bishop. You know, who's who? What are the teams that are looking for a number one goalie? And that cap space isn't a problem. Obviously, the Dallas Stars has been a big rumor uh, for Ben Bishop, but the, the Lightning would have to take back one of their veteran goalies, and either probably most likely Anthony Niemi, which you would say, hey, that's not a bad thing to have a young kid like Vasilevsky. As well as, and then bringing a veteran to tutor him along and help him along. Agreed. But Niami has a four and a half million dollar cap hit, which the Lightning that'd be way too much for them. So then Dallas would have to probably pay part of his contract as two years left. And then what assets can you get? And again, Tampa Bay's up against the cap, so they're going to want assets they can get that have you know very small salaries, very small cap numbers. Draft. Picks. So you know on yeah yeah draft picks prospects. But then Dallas, a team like Dallas, might say, well, wait a minute, we don't want to give up 
that high of a draft pick. We don't want to give up these certain prizes. So on paper, you would say, yeah, trade him, alleviate the cap, get some assets. But especially with a goalie, uh, it can be a lot more complicated uh, from that standpoint. So um, if I was a betting man, I would say Ben Bishop will get traded this summer. But there are a number of hurdles involved uh, with him getting traded. And, and quite honestly, the only two teams I can really come up with that seem like a natural fit would be the Flyers, although their caps are a little bit tighter than the Stars, and the Dallas Stars hmm. for Ben Bishop. Interesting. Well, I mean, you could say, uh, yeah, I think the Flyers have a little more than $6 million in cap space, and Ben Bishop's number next year is $5.9 million. Maybe they could send a Michael Norworth back to Tampa Bay, who signed for next year at 1.75, which would be a great pickup for Tampa. Uh, but then, you know, they would have to get some additional future assets as well. What what would that be? Um, and again, it would be you know the Flyers would still have to make another move to free up a little cap space if they were to take on a Ben Bishop given their cap. So, like I said, there's it's not easy making trades in today's NHL. There's a lot of pieces because of the cap, uh, you know, associated with this. Well, as you said, this is going to turn out to be our first episode of the 2016-17 season. Um, so as we get a little closer to August, we're going to start putting up our our. We got to go back and look at all the all the roster moves and and retooled re, retooled rosters around the NHL and start looking at our division picks and division preview shows coming up here. Uh, it's raw. It's all right around the corner. So a lot, of, a lot of good stuff happening. We're excited to be a part of the HockeyWriters.com's podcast, family of podcasts, if you will. So it uh, looks like we're going to have a really good season here, Chris. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, bringing back some of the great guests that we had this past year, uh, as well as uh, finding some new ones as well. For sure, for sure. Well, until then, Chris, I'm going to run. And for Chris, I'm Mark. We're gone.